Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film Blue Hawaii from 1961 with my wonderful guests, Stephanie Anderson and Andre Fonseca. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and today on the show, I have my wonderful guests, Stephanie Anderson and Andre Fonseca. And that was in alphabetical order. So you guys are both important, and I did that in alphabetical order. So I just want you to know that. And we watched the film Blue Hawaii from 1961. Steph and Andre, what were your first thoughts? What did you think? Pass. (laughs) I ended up watching this twice just to make sure. So on my first watch, this was real rough. Uh, Obviously, there's just a lot that's problematic. But actually, on my second watch, I realized that it wasn't as bad as I thought. And I will tell you guys why, but I'll wait to get into it. All right. Well, I'm going to share why I chose this film. Um, So I, okay. If anyone knows me, they know that I love like a campy classic. Like there are films that you watch because they're like really good films. And there are films that you watch because they're like campy and fun and ridiculous. And this 100% falls under the campy, fun, ridiculous film. Plus it's like its own formulaic version of like an Elvis Hallmark film. You know what I mean? Like there are all these Elvis tropes that we can get into in a lot of Elvis films, but there's always going to be like a beautiful location. And there's always going to be like a beautiful romance and a a girl i shouldn't say beautiful romance it's usually pretty fucked up but it's like there's always romance there's always a girl he usually grows up throughout the process but sometimes he doesn't um but yeah it's formulaic there'll be songs it'll be fun and that's an elvis film um i also think in my brain i picked this because well we haven't talked about elvis on the show ever and i was like well why not i've weirdly seen a ton of his films because i'm into that not Elvis, but like the formulaic film. And um, it's Memorial Day. It's coming up and it's going to be Memorial Day. And like this film is in Hawaii. And I wanted to like honor. Elvis is a GI. <laughs> oh, yeah. Elvis was a GI. Yep, you're correct. He was a veteran. So I thought, you know, that might be nice. Um, so I'm going to do a plot synopsis for the people at home so you can understand what we're up against. And I might get it wrong because even though I just watched this film, it like already flies out your brain immediately. It's like the kind of film or if you've seen a bunch of them, you're like, wait, was that this one or was that the other one or was that? So let me let me do my best. Okay, so Blue Hawaii. We at least open to the, like this really gorgeous footage of Hawaii. Like the Hawaii Tourist Board must have sponsored this film because oh my God, what gorgeous footage. Um, so we meet Hawaii as a character and we've got Elvis songs playing over it. So that's nice. And then we find out from this beautiful woman driving a fast car named Miley 
that she's on her way to pick up Chad Gates from the airport, who's been away for the last two years in the army, much like real life Elvis, who had recently gotten back from his two year stint in the army. Um, she goes to pick Chad up from the airport. Chad's acting a fool because he is immature and he just needs to grow up, but he is just, he's not ready to grow up. And some of what he's saying does make sense. His parents want him to follow this specific path they've laid out for him to become like the pineapple king of Hawaii, where he like owns the pineapple industry. And he's like, no, I don't want to own the pineapple industry. I want to be independent. He decides the best way to become independent is to get a job at his girlfriend's travel agency as a tour guide. And he becomes a tour guide for a group of women. And they like, there's one younger woman who's 17 who's like super into him. And I guess she's a child still. I shouldn't call her a woman because she's like a child. Um, and they like go on kind of montages of fun adventures in Hawaii. And then one night, something goes horribly awry and Elvis ends up in jail after trying to like, I guess, protect the 17 year old that he, they could have just told the person hitting on her that she was 17, but they didn't do that. I don't know why, whatever. Elvis ends up in jail for a bar fight. And um, when his family bails him out, they're like, that's the last straw. You need to grow up and you need to join the company or get out of our fancy pantsy rich house. And he's like, I will get out of the fancy pantsy rich house. And he also got fired from his job as a tour guide because of the bar fight. So he's like, oh, what am I gonna do? And he's like, wait, me and my girlfriend can form our own tourism company. So they resume their tour with this woman and the young girls who are on vacation. And, um, and, uh, and what else happens? And then, oh, one night, the young girl who has been hitting on Elvis throughout the film, and he's like, no, I'm not interested. And she's like, yes, you are, I'm 17, you're interested. And he's like, no, I'm not, anyway. She shows up at his hotel room. She's like, I want to have sex with you. And he's like, no. And then her, a bunch of the other girls show up and they're like, that girl's missing. And he's like, go over there. So they all are hiding. And then the, the she's not a teacher. Yeah, she is. The teacher comes in who was like chaperoning the tour. And she's like, I have romantic feelings on a trip. And he's like, oh, no, you have romantic feelings for me, I bet. Ah. And then his girlfriend sees them through the window. And she's like, oh, my God, he's cheating on me. Uh, so she runs off. And then the teacher is all the girls are like, ah, the young girl who was mean ran away. What are we gonna do? So Elvis follows her and it turns out she was gonna like kill herself over Elvis rejecting her. She was gonna go drown herself in the ocean. And Elvis saves her and he's like, girl, what are you doing? And she's like, well, nobody likes me. And he's like, yeah, cause you're acting like a dick. Stop acting like a dick and people will like you. And she's like, um, but no, I don't think anyone's still gonna like me. And he's like, you need to be spanked. And then he spanks her that was this and it happens and you're like oh my god oh my god and, th and then finally we get to the end of the film we find out all everything has worked out the teacher was not professing her love for elvis she was professing her love for another man and trying to tell elvis about it and elvis's girlfriend realizes this and they get back together and they're going to start their own tourism business together and even though chad is going to be independent he's like using his dad for connections so he's not like really independent but he's saying he is and that's fine whatever and then they get married on a boat. And that is the film, Blue Hawaii, from 1961. You were extraordinarily kind to Elvis in that synopsis, I just want to say. So I think the first thing I want to talk about, because you guys, one of the reasons I have you on the show is, one, I felt like you would really appreciate the camp. Am I right or am I right? Correct, yes. 100%. Thank you. Yeah. 
two, you both have like a relationship with Hawaii that I do not have. So I feel like you would be excellent to chat with about like, I've never been to Hawaii. What is actually authentic in this film? What's accurate? What's respectful? What's not? Because I'm assuming a lot of it's not. I, I know Stephanie is going to have a lot of thoughts here. So I'm just going to get in a couple uh, before she, she's got a lot of <laughs> thoughts on this. Um, so just point of clarification, I think most of this uh, movie takes place in Oahu, some in um, Kauai. A lot of it was on the Coco Palms Resort in Kauai, and a lot of it was on Waikiki Beach. So are those different islands? Those are different islands, yeah. Okay. So Waikiki Beach is on Oahu, which is the island where uh, Honolulu is. It's the most populous island. Got it. Okay. And Kauai is... Um, not the most remote, but it's one of the most scenic uh, islands. And we've, we haven't been to either one of those islands. The, the, the thing that's on our list is to go to Kauai. But I will say this, we have visited the islands and Ma we've been, we visited Maui quite a bit. And I can safely say that the movie does a wonderful job of extolling the scenic virtues of Hawaii mm -hmm. and probably nothing else about Hawaii. That's my take. Uh, you're right. It makes the it makes Hawaii look super beautiful, which it is. Um, it does have like a really touristy view of mm -hmm. the Hawaiian culture, but I think that's also because it's from the perspective of tourists. So like, yeah, you see like kind of like the performances that they put on for the tourists. They also show locals having fun, right? Like when Chad first, you know, when Chad and Miley first leave the airport, he, Chad wants to go straight to where his buddies are at the beach where like, where he knows they're going to be hanging out. They're like on their giant dragon boat, but you know, like it shows them just chilling. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. Like, is it authentic? Like not necessarily what they do today, but like how people hung out and chilled back in the 1961, maybe, I don't know. The love affair of mainland United States with Hawaii is still very fresh in this film. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of like sort of googly eyes of, you know, what life is like in Hawaii and, you know, not to become a huge downer, but like, you know, it's essentially through the prism of white folks who see, you know, the, the natives as like almost like this marvelous little toddler. Um, and context is everything because, you know, what was this? You said 1961. So gosh, uh 60 years ago yeah the world was a different place 60 years ago so like yeah. i don't think they are making fun of the locals uh in any way i think that they're they're i feel like they're trying to celebrate them because they're they're kind of like infatuated with this this culture they're 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 just really in in the start of this love affair with this new state right yeah i would say um does it absolve like the way that like you know, uh, the native islanders are treated, no. And nor does it absolve anything that Elvis does. I've seen this film before, but it's been a minute or two. And um, yeah, I think I felt like maybe it was gonna be a little more racist than it was. So I was surprised that it didn't totally go that route. And I feel like they show Angela Lansbury in a pretty negative and degrading light. Like I think the only person that's completely degraded is their Japanese butler, um, who they name Ping Pong, unfortunately. And it's like a very unfortunate characterization. And I was wondering if that's because World War II was not that long before this. And there was still like this idea of making fun of Japanese people like prevalent in film. I mean, it happens Breakfast at Tiffany's the same year. So 
that was what was like glaringly obvious in the racist front to me. But I think what's weirdly progressive of this film, not that this film is progressive, but that they make Angela Lansbury, who's clearly a character we don't like and we make fun of, she's racist. She's outwardly racist, and they're naming that as a bad thing. Like Elvis's girlfriend is like half indigenous Hawaiian or half native Hawaiian. Um, and one of the reasons Angela Lansbury doesn't like her is because she's not white, <laughs> right? And I will say, I think Joan Blackman is white and was wearing brown face, which is not cool at all, but, or she might've just been tan. I actually couldn't tell if it was brown face or tan. Either way, not okay, not cool. But I did like in the plot that the person that was racist was bad. Do you know what I, like they kind of make that point. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, okay, that's okay. The, the movie has, I think, a uh, a positive point of view towards the culture, right? I think they um, they celebrate the the music. I think you hear, I mean, it's Elvis, right? So you're hearing a lot of the influences in the music and what he's in and how he's singing and Elvis's friends. You know, he, yeah. he wants to be with the the locals. He doesn't want to be with his mom and dad. Yeah. He doesn't want to be with the the company you know we've evolved so much i think in the last 60 yeah. years in terms of like how we how we how some of us view this this kind of stuff and i think the movie in its own way holds up in that regard but there's a lot of other problematic things and i can't help but wonder too like we had mentioned hawaii was a newer state and we i don't know how much of hawaii we've seen on film really before so i feel like all the things we think about hawaii like as tourists like if you were like okay if you were a tourist hawaii go i'd be like luau alay aloha like like hula you know, I think of all these things and all of that was featured in this film. And so I wonder how much our view of Hawaii as tourists is because of films like this. Like, I can't help but wonder how much is like indigenous Polynesian practice versus what they show tourists. And I also think that the way that they they showcase the island itself, like the beauty of the beach and the beauty of the water, <sighs> they, don't, they don't even touch on that too much. But like, Elvis is kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, he was doing all that stuff. Oh, you mean um, surfboarding? <laughs> He's going oh, surfboard. to go surfboarding. Or what was it that he said? He said something weird. It was like, not what we say. Stephanie, you saw it twice. What did, what did he say? Surfboarding? Surfboard riding. That's what they're going to do. Oh, surfboard riding. Can we go surfboard riding? Oh, boy. He did look really comfortable just like laying there, passed out on that surfboard. Just like, oh, my God, I was jealous. It does do a, a good job of showcasing the sort of impetuses that you have when you're in Hawaii, which is to do nothing. When he's at his shack and he's got that hammock, and but he's out on the surfboard laying, that is my dream. That's like all I want in a vacation. I think you'd really enjoy Hawaii. I might have a pina colada in my hand on that board. That's maybe the only alteration I would make. They make it look stunning. Like, it looks naturally gorgeous they show all these beautiful shots of like the beach and the trees and all of it and it's pretty and also the time of which you know like everything's new like all the creature comforts that are in hawaii are pretty new so like it's a new resort it's a new house there's like really no sort of urban blight on the landscape when they go up to the hill and they have their picnic and you're looking out you know that is all congested and 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 built upon in in oahu now for the uh -huh. most part um, you're, you're seeing this sort of like pristine island, like that is just like barely touched by, uh, the, the finger of the United States. And, and, you know, now it's a little bit different, it's still beautiful, obviously, but yeah. like, it is a really, really like wonderfully scenic cinematic time for the sets, you know, for the, yes. the set design and the costume design. And it, it's a lovely sort of tapestry of, of all things Hawaiian, but also modern at that time. But they also just side note, they didn't even eat that picnic. I was so mad about that. 
if you've got that view and you've got a great picnic lunch, you're really not going to eat it? Really? Your meeting can wait. You had a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to leave without your little mama. I forgot my girlfriend. <laughs> Let's get into Elvis. Tell me all the stuff. <laughs> well, how are you feeling? Well, he really has an arc, right? Mm -hmm. Like... He changes so much from the beginning to the end, like unrealistically quickly. Like somehow the war did not mature him at all. There was no war. Oh, sorry. There was no war. <laughs> His military <laughs> service did nothing to, to make him grow up. But um, but being home for five days, that, that got him, which I thought was pretty silly. So Elvis's arc was wildly inconsistent in this film because he goes from... I mean, look, just that opening scene. I mean, I don't care what decade you're in. Miley is his girlfriend. It's not like they're just kind of like an, they're not like a friend, like it's sort of an ambiguous thing, is it? Or or is it? It's not, right? They're like boyfriend, girlfriend. I think they're boyfriend, he, girlfriend. Yeah, I think they're boyfriend, girlfriend. And and yep. and she she is is like speeding to get to the airport to see him. And, mm -hmm. and a cop stops her and the cop's like, Oh, do you escort? You know, that was a little kind of dumb. That, that yeah. was a little like, Oh, like the native cop is going to whatever. Like he gives her the escort, they get there and he's, they open up the doors and he's just sucking face with some stewardess or flight attendant. Like that is just, I don't care what dec decade you're in. Like that's, that's weird. But the reason I say it's inconsistent is that like, so that same Elvis mm -hmm. had the presence of mind to get a music box in Austria to present to his sort of girlfriend's grandmother. Like what? When he's kissing the stewardess, his eyes are open and he's looking down. So it really was a quote unquote prank. What were you hoping to get from this prank, sir? He was like, I thought I'd make you jealous. And you're like, that's the... That's so dumb. Um, I think it was also for the men watching. So I think part of these films, they know that women will show up, but they want to give something to the men. And they're like, look at Elvis can make out with any woman he wants. Don't you wish you were him? Elvis ain't no simp. That's my theory about it, is that it was literally, his eyes were open during the kiss, looking at her. Therefore, it was to make her jealous. But it's really, it's dumb. It's a really dumb way of getting this point across of one, I have sex appeal, two, I'm immature. But yeah, it was super childish. Like, again, yeah, they open the door and then he looks at her, maintains eye contact with Miley and then goes back to kissing. Like, it's super rude. It's so rude. Like, okay, red flags. He just showed rudeness throughout the beginning. Remember when he like, she bought a new dress and he threw her in the water? How rude was that? Also, remember how he bought her a bikini and it immediately fell off and a dog had to help her because Elvis didn't? Does anyone else remember that? He was too oblivious to notice that she's clearly in distress. And he admitted that about that for me, not for you. So he could see her in the bikini. Okay, it was a cute bikini, but I want to say as someone who grew up in a beach town and has lived her life in the ocean, I have never trusted swimsuits that are not made by a surf company. And this is a perfect example of why. No matter how cute a swimsuit is, if it's not made by surfers, like it will fall off. It's not going to hold up while and you're And there in the were ocean. no straps. There were no straps. I would never buy a strapless bathing suit. I'm no fool. Man, yeah, that was hard. Um, but there were so many hard things about this. And he really, they did try to put their, like, things in there that would make him honorable somewhat. Like, even though I just made fun of him for not helping her, he did, like, he, he did realize what was wrong and didn't try to take advantage of the situation. But again, a dog did act quicker than Elvis did to help resolve getting Miley out of the water with a shirt on. 
So I do want to acknowledge that a dog might have been smarter than Elvis in that situation. But I feel like there was a mix of trying to put things in that made him look great, but a lot of times he just came off really rough. This was not a great movie for Elvis. Um, I, I also chose this film, Blue Hawaii, because uh, there are kind of two phases of Elvis' movie career. There's pre-Army Elvis, which was like trying to be more serious in film, and then there's post-Army Elvis, which is like what we have here like the formulaic Elvis film. Um, and the formulaic Elvis film ends up kind of like killing his career because <laughs> he makes so many of these and loses all of his street cred <laughs> because of these films. That's a really great point. Th these films kind of um, make Elvis a cartoon, whereas, you know, in the beginning of this of his career, even though he's like this teen, you know, phenomenon, he's also this seismic, moment in music history i mean we still call him the king of rock and roll you know like you know once he gets serious again we can go into the comeback special and all that and then yeah. what he does in the <laughs> 70s but like it it does make him super super cartoony because there are these sort of chunks of elvis's career where you're just like what the hell are you doing and just just to talk really very quickly i know it's a it will be a recurring mm -hmm. theme here about mm -hmm. how formulaic this movie is there are I mean, listen, a million formulaic movies that are released every year by every studio all the time. But even for that day and, and, and age, like you can really kind of see like what movies, like what the studios thought of packaging Elvis into a movie. It was like, it's music, it's Elvis, it's Hawaii. What else do we need? Mm -hmm. We got it. We got it. And like yeah. everything else is kind of like an afterthought. Well, and for a while it worked and they kept him, it was like Colonel Tom Parker, his manager forever was the one who kind of got him stuck in this loop because they were making so much money at first on these movies. Because what they ended up doing is they would make like two to three movies a year and they'd make soundtracks for each movie and the movies would do well and the soundtracks would do really well. I think this soundtrack for Blue Hawaii was the number one record of the year and Can't Help Falling in Love With You was an incredibly huge single and hit. Couldn't get it out of my head today. Couldn't get it out of my head. Also the UB40 version, the cover. It is a good cover. I prefer the Elvis version, but I don't always prefer the Elvis version. <laughs> but in this song, I do. The UB40 version was also featured in a problematic movie called Sliver, starring Billy Baldwin and Sharon Stone. For another podcast. We're talking about like the Elvis tropes and like what his films become. And this is like, it ends up being the blueprint for the rest of them. Because G.I. Blues comes out before this and it's really similar, but this is like the movie that we are going to make over and over again for the next, I don't know, till 1968. <laughs> we are going to do this movie for the next seven years in various uh, formats. So I want to like name some tropes for you so we can chat about it. A lot of the movies have these things. Um, one is underage girls hitting on Elvis and him saying no, which is ironic because in real life, the girl that's hitting on him in the movie who is 17, guess how old Elvis's girlfriend in real life was at this exact same time? Ho ho, 17. So it's funny when he's like, I don't rob no cradles. And you're like, you were dating a 14 year old. You dated a 14 year old. It's a fact. Your girlfriend was 17 at the time of this film and you were cheating on her. Anyway, okay, so there's always an underage girl trope um, where they're hitting on him and he says no. Uh, there's like the immature in the beginning grows up by the end. Very common in an Elvis film. Um, sometimes it's not though. There's a couple where he's like, and I learned nothing. Bye everybody. And you're like, okay, Elvis, cool. This almost was that. This almost was that. It was dangerously close to him, like not learning much. He seesawed a lot in this movie. Ooh, like it was, it wasn't even, I concur. Cause they just wanted to fit the songs in and they were like, well, what happens now? Uh-oh. 
Also, why why was Elvis having so much trouble finding a career when clearly he was a song and dance man throughout the entire? Are we, uh, do we do we lose consciousness when he sings as an audience, and that's what like we're just supposed to forget that he's singing? We also are going to need to get into how bad the lip syncing was. Just a total side note: they don't even try to pretend this is happening in real life. They are like, we filmed this for the soundtrack in a studio. Pretend and. Elvis doesn't even, I feel like he's like, I don't really want to move my mouth. Are you really going to ask me to move my mouth to this song? I don't feel like it. Um, it's just really got off a of lip syncing. And like, so since we're used to like really natural stuff, it's so jarring to have like a fully produced record playing over a scene that we're supposed to pretend he's singing to, you know, it's, it's hard. It's jarring. Um, but that's actually a trope too. So you brought it around all of these weirdly misplaced and like, similar there's always like three ballads and like one medium tempo and one up tempo like there's like a every single time they pick the same kind of set list so there's that literally a formula literally a formula he always has a random job like a completely random job like one time he's a carnival person one time he's he's a song and dance man quite a bit though let's be real that happens a lot but yeah he usually i feel like he usually has a totally random job a lot of times he's a race car driver um he also usually has a nice car that goes fast there are always beautiful women. There are usually nice locations, usually some bopping soundtracks, and almost always a fight scene where he does his famous karate pose, where he's like, ha, like, you know, I, you can't see me at home, but I'm doing the Elvis karate pose. So those are like the Elvis tropes. We had all of them in this film and they continue. I'm, I'm fuzzy on, on, on Hawaii Elvis in terms of like his institutional wealth. Is he always wealthy? Not always. That's a great question. In these films, he's he's different in different ones. He's not always wealthy, but in this one, okay. he sure he's was. Very wealthy. He sure is wealthy. He wants to throw away the wealth. It's funny because he's like, I want to throw away the wealth, but like, also, can you actually also support me too? Thanks, I really appreciate that. Also, this is a nice car. But yeah, like he's like, I don't want to live this kind of life, mama. But he still stays in their house and he still does keep the car. And he's still, when he's like, I want to start off my own. But dad, can you send me all of your clients so I have all of your clients forever? Thank you. Like, that's not doing it on your own. Can we talk about his dad for a little bit? Can we talk about his dad and his mom? Oh yes, please, let's talk about the parents. I, I think the character that I identified the most within the movie was almost his dad because he just wanted to put a bullet in his brain the entire movie. And I was like, yeah, same. His dad was the voice of reason, oddly, throughout. And his dad would make all of these comments about how he hated his life and how he hated his marriage. But it's happy. Um, I think my favorite dad quote, though, was after the mom, they played the music, the mom was like, what was that? The dad was like, that, my dear, is a sound we'll have to get used to. It's the sound of youth. And I was like, oh, my God. What a line. There were so many good lines and I don't even remember them. They're, like we had to paraphrase them, but there was that scene when at, at the party at the house, that was where the youth quote uh, comes in at the Rockahula. But before Rockahula doesn't, his mom, Angela Lansbury is clearly sauced, right? She's like, she's, you know, three sheets to the wind and her, his dad, doesn't he say something to her about his, her drinking he says something to her or he says he makes a remark about it, like how he wants to like drink himself out of this consciousness or yes. something. Like, but like I was looking at that. I was like, oh, man, he really just wants to get out of there. And then let's talk about how there's a dude who's living with them. Who's is that his uncle? Is that is just a random? Is that the owner of the company? That's the owner of the company who stayed on the mainland and who made the dad the vice president in Hawaii. And he's like, I should have chosen to go to Hawaii. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. 
But yeah, that's the owner of the company. But he's just staying there? He's just hanging out? Well, yeah, because they're buds. Seems very comfortable there. Yeah, he's just like staying at their house as their guest because he's like, I own the company and you work for me and this is what's going to happen, but we're best friends. But wait, can we also, the dad and the mom, you're right. I, I'm so glad. I hadn't put like that fully into focus yet about how much he hates his life. Yes, especially there's a part where the mom is like, where did we go wrong with our son? And he's like, when we got married. And you're like, oh, fuck, you hate her. He hates her. There's not, is there one sort of like loving moment between those two in the movie? Not no. even when their son gets married. There is nope. not. Oh my God. Although, wait, can we, we need to Angela Lansbury it. One, you also just made me realize, I had not realized this before. She's constantly drinking. And then when Chadwick wants to drink, she's like, you can't have any drinks. And you're like, oh lady. Oh, Angela Lansbury tears it up in this film. She steals the film. She is fantastic. This is a performance. This is like, she is so obnoxious. She plays this like Southern belle from Atlanta who only has ridiculous things to say. She's a complete moron, but also a genius with comedic delivery and physical comedy. And she is playing it kind of like it's real because she's Angela Lansbury and she's amazing. I love her so much in this role. And you see like glimpses of her future as playing Auntie Mame. Like in the party scene, I could like, I could see her being Mame. And I was like, ooh, I bet this is what it was like a little bit. Angie understood the assignment, I would say. She turned lines that were so dumb into like moments. What would be a modern day equivalent of what, like the stature, and I know that Angela Lansbury wasn't Angela Lansbury at that moment, but she was still a pretty successful. Yeah, she was successful. I mean, the Manchurian Candidate's right around this time, I feel. And she, I feel like, I don't remember if she won for that, but she got nominated for that for an Oscar. Let's, let's draw a modern day parallel to like what caliber of actress has been in a movie like this, modern day, and just kind of just like looked at it and was just like, all right, this is what I'm in, but I'm gonna shoot the shot. And like she crushes her the performance in an otherwise absurd movie. I feel like Glenn Close would be maybe a good example of someone who could pull this shit off. I think Glenn Close is a yeah. good example, like in those Dalmatian movies. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Like she was like chewing up scenery, but she was still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Meryl Streep. Streep is always great. Streep in... Uh, Stuck on You. Stuck on You. No, remember when she just shows up in that film and she's like, hello, I'm in this film and I'm playing myself. Sorry, that was a terrible reference. I apologize, everyone at home. No, it's great. Also, can we talk about she was only 10 years older than Elvis when she made this film? That's it, 10 years. She was 36, pretending to be like a 50-something-year-old. Shock emoji. That's crazy. Yeah. Really? Do you want to hear something else shocking? Yes. You know that spinster teacher that was so old? She was 18 months older than Elvis. She was like 28. She didn't look old at all. Like, it's so ridiculous. How old was the 17 year old? Did you say the 17 year old? Did you, did we get the oh, actual age of the 17? Oh, I didn't look at 17? how old she was. I don't know. She's probably 40. The 17 year old plays the 40 year old and the 38 year old plays the 58 year old. Um, so yeah, Angela Lansbury, also we mentioned her racism, but also I love that they put in that weird twist of like, she's Southern and she's talking about her beef about the war between the states. And in our brains at home, we're like, oh, we know how this is gonna go. You're probably gonna say something racist about like Northerners because, oh no. And it turns out her like general great, great grandfather or whatever was on the Yankee side and she hated that. <laughs> we're so proud of him or whatever she says, but that he is, a, unfortunately he was a Yankee. And you're like, oh my God. I do like that you twisted that for us. Angela Lansbury, you pulled off the joke. You really did it. We were with you 100%. She was the best, I think she was the best part of the movie. Am I right about this? 
I actually think uh, who's the actress who played uh, Miley? Oh, Joan Blackman. She was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, she's really good too. I mean, she had she has a really a thankless role, but she kind of keeps it together, you know. Yeah. And she's like, she's kind of like an etch a sketch, you know. She kind of like shakes off all the all the L's. Um, but there's like a lot. There's a lot that she has to go through. But yeah, Angela Lansbury is a clear way. I mean. Other than Elvis, like Elvis won, like no, Elvis is like Teflon. He just like, like nothing matter. He could have done, he's like a, he's like a deity in that movie. Like nothing he did mattered. It was just like, oh, well, you're gorgeous. So everything's fine. That's kind of what the movie was. That was the, that was the moral of the story. Elvis <laughs> is a demigod and everything that he does is just forgiven and absolved. That's it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I'm glad you brought in Joan Blackman too, because you're right. It is a thankless role. She does a good job, and I at least like that her character is intelligent. But I guess they always make like Elvis leading ladies somewhat intelligent because they have to be like both gorgeous and intelligent, which makes them worthy of his love, as opposed to just beautiful and dumb because they don't think dumb people are worthy. Um, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm saying that's what that is. <laughs> but yeah, she does do a pretty good job. Um, do you just want to like? I wrote name all the ridiculous things in this film as like a topic. Do you just want to name the ridiculous things that are in this film? There's it's just a list. I mean, spanking someone was the top of my list. The fact that we see an adult man oh spank a 17 year old girl for real. And then in the next scene, her teacher's like, did you get a head cold? And she's like, no, not a head cold. Or I don't know what the fuck she says, but she alludes to like, no, my ass hurts, not my head. Cause I got spanked. <sighs> And it solves all her problems. She's not an asshole anymore after that. Another lesson of the film. Corporal punishment works. Literally, the line is like, nobody cared enough about me to spank me, was like what she said out loud. And a man wrote it, so. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> it's messy, but I am going to say, like, what's her, what's her plight? Or like, what, you know, what is she saying? She's like, no one ever cared enough to, like, discipline me at all. So did they do it right? No. But it's actually a really good message. And I think... That's actually kind of like what I see happening a lot in this movie. It's like, are they doing it in the best way? God, no. But there's actually a lot of like really great lessons in here. You know, like obviously with uh, with Chad's mother, with Angela Lansbury, like, you know, like they're addressing racism. Talks all the crap about the Beach Boys and this native girl. And like, you know, like, and, and, and it's just so tasteless. And it's like, it puts a bad taste in your mouth. Like it's, it's, it's wrong, right? And, and she's ridiculed. Like we ridicule her for that. As an audience and then elvis is opposed to that too which we root for him and like that's good that the character we're rooting for is like oh no you're wrong like that's good exactly like i'm gonna do what i want to do i'm gonna hang out with the people i want to hang out with and they're no worse or better than you know you or anyone else um classism where again back to sarah lee she says you know like oh i don't want him hanging out with commoners i don't want my son hanging out with tourists tourists aren't real people uh, you know, why can't he just go be a manager, you know, like be a proper, proper upstanding person of society. And she's super obsessed with bloodlines. Want to add that. Like she'll talk about their bloodline. And then at the end of the film, when she finally comes around to them getting married and she's like, and her bloodline, do you know that she's related to royalty? And her grandma's like, yeah, I'm her fucking grandmother. Back off, idiot. It's great. Right. She's she's so concerned with like class, but then she like misses like the, the nuances and misses like, oh, you know, I should also make sure I know who this person is that I'm talking about. And then, um, you know, this movie like really addresses entitlement in multiple ways. So, you know, like who's, who are the villains in this movie? Like Ellie Corbett, right? The, the 17 year old girl. And why does she suck? She's a hater. And this movie is like, haters suck. They drain all the energy out of things. They're no fun to have around and everyone, you know, like kind of just wishes that they weren't around. And 
and they fix that, which is actually a great message because, you know, I think it's, I think a lot of the time, especially, I don't know, I always felt like it's kind of cool to be like, oh, everything sucks. And that's not yeah. fun at all. You know, it's nice when people actually embrace things and can, can, can get into things. And that was what Ellie had to learn is to like stop hating and be into things. Um, but so like there's kind of her entitlement of the sexual advances that she makes on Elvis where she's like, oh, you know, like I'm bored. I'm going to do what I want, which means taking advantage of you no matter how uncomfortable you are. And not listening when you say no, not listening to your consent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then we see it uh, hugely with the tourists, with those Okies uh, <laughs> who get into a fight at the Luau. Okies is short for Oklahoma people. It took me a second. So I wanted to share that with the audience at home. I didn't. It took me a second stuff. <laughs> oh. oh, I thought everyone knew this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So um, it was Tucker and Enid, this creepy guy comes in, like just ogling the girls at this luau and just like starts hitting on the youngest of them who pretends she's French. And then he's just disgusting. This guy's like, oh, you are French. I like French girls. And his wife, for some reason, is super okay with him being a lech like this. And when Alex or Chad tries to break it up, like chaos ensues. You know, it makes you feel really icky to watch because it's messed up, right? And it's, it's like this movie is like depicting some stuff that makes us really uncomfortable, but it's showing that it's super problematic, right? Like it shows that like that it's not appropriate. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. Although that situation could have been incredibly easily resolved with communication. So if Elvis in any way tried to communicate with that man and explain the situation, I think it would have been fine. Like if he was like, hey, creepy man hitting on this 17 year old. I know you don't know this, but she's 17. They're tourists and I'm their tour guide. Your behavior, like there, there were words that could have been used instead of just like, hey, take this outside. Like, no, no, I forget what he said. But I remember being like, you're not explaining. You just need to explain Elvis, use your words. Has the army taught you nothing? I love your Elvis. Thanks. No, the line is so great because Elvis says like, sir, maybe like maybe you can calm down. And and Tucker's like, don't call me names. He called you, sir. What the fuck is wrong with you? And oh, on the plus side, too, that guy gets beat up in jail, too. So he starts this brawl and he does get his in the end because he gets punched. And we didn't mention the very funny manager played by Howard McNear, um, who was on the Andy Griffith show. He's like a really funny uh, comedy actor and he plays the boss in this and he's he's really silly, but uh, he believes the shitty people. And as a result, we're okay with him losing his business to Chad and um, the awful guy. I think I didn't realize his name was Tucker, the Oklahoma man who hits on a 17 year old and incites the bar fight. The Oki. He does get punched in the face at the end. Elvis sings a great song about kissing cousins and pineapple in jail. And um, and uh, it's a great song. Wow, it's a great song. I forget the line. It's something like, I'm, just, I'm like kissing cousins with a pineapple. We're both going to end up in the can. I don't know. We're both in a can. I forget. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. And, um, and uh, the man who will be in prison for life loves that song. And he will keep anybody from complaining about it. By punching them in the face because he wants to hear that song. Oh, let's not forget that uh, the creepy Oklahoma tourist's wife also gets punched in the face. She does. She has a black eye, um, which I guess if you went to someone and you had a black eye and you were like, this is what happened, I guess that person would believe them. But the boss won't even listen to Elvis. Therefore, we don't care about him anymore. He also 
Ben pushes her bruise. Yeah. Mr. Chapman. He's like, didn't anyone tell you you shouldn't wear green when you've got a bruise like this? I feel like, you know, in retrospect, the the fact that Elvis gets in trouble after that fight isn't so far-fetched, even though we know that he was pushing off Tucker mm-hmm. away from, um, what's the 17-year-old's name again? It's Ellie Corbett. But you're right. Like his, you know, Tucker's wife gets punched in the face. Elvis is Elvis, right? And he did say, he's like, oh, I was just getting them off like girl or something like that. And like, they didn't believe him. And of course, why would you believe Elvis? Because he was a fucking, you know, uh, he was a, he was a fuck up. So, so I get it. Um, but like that, that there was a, a, a criminal who was imprisoned for life and what was clearly just like a, 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 a municipal holding cell was a little problematic too. <laughs> um, so I actually still enjoy this film. Like we were making fun of it, but I enjoy it. Cause again, I love some campy stuff. I love musical numbers. I love kind of making fun of things while enjoying things while I watch them. I do both at the same time. Um, like I make fun of them, but from a kind place, not from a mean place. Um, but I do want to go back to that moment with Ellie on the beach when he's like saving her life from suicide, because it's like, this is what this film can't handle. It will have these moments that are actually sweet and meaningful. And then we'll do something that just kind of fucks it up a little where you're like, oh, you were so close. You were so close. So before he spanks this girl, thereby showing her that he cares about her because he cares enough to spank her. Don't quote me on that, guys. Um, but I wrote down their conversation because I was like, oh, this is actually a sweet conversation. So he pulls her out of the water and was like, ah, what were you trying to do? And she's like, eh, nobody likes me. And he's like, well, if you like yourself, others will like you too. So that's like what RuPaul says every week. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? And I was like, yes, RuPaul her. Yes. So he says that to her. And then she says to him, there's nothing to like, which I have said that to a parent in my life, you know, teenage Sarah, crying has been like nobody likes me and the i hate my friends and they hate me right i could see myself crying and saying these things so to have an actual 17 year old say these things i was like yeah that's very legit for a 17 year old frame of mind and then elvis says to her there's a lot to like if you weren't trying to be something you're not it don't work you know you got to find out right now and save yourself a lot of grief and i was like yeah elvis that's a great message you got to be authentic and true to yourself yes To which she responds, again, the most teenage thing I've ever heard, and I also 100% said as a 17-year-old, everybody hates me. And then he goes, nobody hates you. And that's the scene. And then he spanks her. Um, So before the spank, we actually got some (laughs) lovely shit. She also, if I recall, she says something that's also pretty devastating, where she says that her parents... uh, send her off to school and then in the summer send her off on trips which is you know that's that's kind of hardcore like your parents literally don't spend any time with you so like it feels like she like has a great sort of emotional like justification for acting out the way that she does she's actually a a very richly developed character be facetious but but like you know those things make sense and elvis is just like so i'm not about it i'm gonna smack it out of your butt And I found the next quote, which was the next day when she's sitting on a pillow and like she's all of a sudden friendly with the girls because she's like learned that being friendly is like, you know, a way to make friends. Um, Because corporal punishment works. That's the lesson of the film. Seriously, it's very problematic. Um, But the the teacher says to her, I hope you didn't catch a head cold. And she looks at her and goes, no, ma'am, just the opposite. 
that's some dialogue. Oh, she gets a hot ass. Can we can we just touch on yes. very briefly on what you were saying about communication in this film? Mm-hmm. The communication between these adults are they must be so emotionally stunted because I can't recall so many easily avoidable situations being exacerbated by people who are communicating like they're on other planets. And I think the best example of this is when the teacher goes to Elvis's room when they're in Kauai and is trying to tell him that she's in love with the strange man who lives in his parents' house. But Elvis thinks that it's her because why wouldn't he? He's gorgeous. Well, because she and kisses him, by the way. Exactly, exactly, because she kisses him. Why was that the moment for her to say, oh, I'm in love with this other dude, but you know, like what? It, it doesn't make no any sense. sense. It made no sense. It's flabbergasting. Yeah, it did not need to be there because it was enough that she put his hand on his shoulders because that would make sense kind of. Like if you're looking at someone and you're trying to tell them like, thank you so much for setting me up with this person. Do you think it's going to work? I think hands on shoulders is not the worst thing you could do. And if you if the girlfriend the girlfriend did only see the hands on shoulders, she didn't see the kiss. But the kiss was the most confusing shit ever. It made no if you're in love with somebody else. Why do you kiss Elvis? I don't know. It would have made more sense if Elvis sprouted wings and flew away. <laughs> I would have loved they could have done that and I would have been fine with it. That's just as believable as everything else in this film. And I would have liked it. I agree. Anyway. Thank you for indulging me in that point. Thank you, because it was driving me nuts, too. It, it, it was absolutely flabbergasting, especially that that moment in particular when they kiss. You're like, it makes no sense. Because she's like, what about the age difference? And you're like, well, I mean, I know you're talking about the billionaire that lives in Elvis's house, it, the billionaire next door. Like, what is he even? He's like, they're, if this was a sitcom, he'd be the silly neighbor next door. He's like the Kimmy Gibbler, but he's a billionaire. Do you think that the billionaire ever made a Robert Redford styled indecent proposal to Elvis's dad for Angela Lansbury. Yes, and that explains why their relationship is deteriorated beyond belief. Yes. That's all I wanted you to say. That's all I, I just wanted you to admit it. But Angela Lansbury doesn't remember it because she has been drunk for the last 20 years on my ties. Those were some heavy pours. What did he call them? Tummy warmers? Tummy warmers. He was more than tummy warmers. It did make me want to drink a Mai Tai personally, um, but Mai Tais aren't made with pineapple juice. So I was like, I'm confused that you're drinking an orange juice beverage when you run a pineapple business. I don't know. Mm. Riddle me that. Could be the could be the Trader Vic's Mai Tai that they're making. Which is probably better anyway. Let's be real. Uh, and I think that that Mai Tai had pineapple juice. Let me investigate. Why did Chad join the army? That's a question I wrote down. They never say, so why did Chad join the army? Why? Because Elvis did in real life? To avoid getting a real job. And because all this did. But Elvis got drafted, and I don't know why, because it was 1958 and the Korean War had been over, right? Yeah, but there was still theater of war, right? So I think conscription was still a thing. Uh, it wasn't until Vietnam that that got a little, little, little dicey. But yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's as simple as Elvis, <laughs> Colonel Tom was probably like, I mean, Colonel Tom is like super Eastern European, right? Like, Right? Is it or because like in the in the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie, like Tom Hanks oh, plays yeah, Colonel yeah. Tom, and it's like Elvis, you are the star, and it's like what is this? Is the Colonel? 
I was very confused. I'm not really brush up on like Colonel Tom Parker, but like he, he had like some, it sounded like Dracula. It was really weird. But like, um, I think Colonel Tom was telling all this, like, just, you know, just do what you know, act what you know. Right. And like, you know, basically that was, you, you like Hawaii, right? You know, you like, uh, you just got out of the army, right? You know, You're like, do you like girls? Oh yeah. Do you like to sing and dance? Oh yeah. This is the movie for you. That's my girl, Tom Parker. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Well, it's funny that you mention all this stuff because it's like, normally what I do on this podcast is I like do research into the lead person. And this time there's just like too much on Elvis to even we're not gonna we're just not gonna do that there's just too much and almost everything i know about elvis if we're being 100 percent honest i know because of that made for tv movie that they used to play on vh1 when we were like in middle school and high school that was based on priscilla presley's autobiography almost everything i know about elvis came from that film and it's not super flattering but that was a really entertaining movie i forgot about that that was a big deal yeah. at the time like i remember specifically there was that scene where she like goes into his bedroom and she's like there's no windows and he's like the only window that matters is that one and it's like a tv that's how he gets like the world is through the tv and then at, the only other thing i remember well i remember a lot of things i guess but after they meet a really legit when she's like a kid and they like show that in the movie and then um they like still keep dating when she's a kid but after she has that baby he won't sleep with her anymore because it grosses him out that she had a baby that's i just think it's just so fucked up so like even though i'm sure elvis did a lot of great things i'll probably just be like eh, he's probably i know that he like culturally appropriated music of black people and made it his own and I know that he's probably pretty gross about women, but was like a handsome man that had a good voice. I'm sure people that love Elvis want to kill me right now. Now we know why he was pushing away the 17-year-old. He had just assumed she had given birth and that she was a mother. Well, I guess that was an Elvis thing legit. Like he would not have sex with a woman that had a kid and he had a ton of affairs, but he never had affairs with people that had, had children. And he was having an affair during this movie. So he's dating a 17-year-old who's living in his house in Graceland. She says that they were not having sex until their wedding night, but they were doing other things. And you're like- Watching TV. <laughs> in my bedroom with no windows i've lost my elvis it's gone um elvis has left the building in my impersonation jar um oh but yeah he was having an affair with um joan blackman on this set and i think someone else was supposed to do the role and the deal fell through and i think he got joan blackman because he had a crush on her um and so yeah they had an affair during this film he has affairs with like almost all of his leading ladies no way. and margaret nancy sinatra yes so he's constantly having affairs anyway I knew about Anne Margaret and Nancy Sinatra. I didn't know about uh, Joan Blackman. At least the internet says. So she, I don't think know if she confirmed or denied it, but the internet says it. I'm sure it's true. And the internet says he wanted to marry her. And she's like, Ooh, no. Hot gossip. What else was Joan Blackman in? She was in another Elvis movie, Kid Galahad. But I don't actually know her career beyond Elvis movies, which makes me sad for myself. She was in Visit to a Small Planet. Oh. And Shivers. Um... Moon Runners. Joan Blackman is still alive. She is? Oh, yay, Joan Blackman. Maybe she can listen to this podcast and confirm or deny the affair. So, okay, a little bit of Elvis. His name is Elvis Aaron Presley. He's a cultural icon dubbed the king of rock and roll, or the king. He likely appropriated from black artists in his music career, especially his early rock and roll days. Um, he had many famous hits. I'm sure everybody at home knows them. Can't help falling in love with you. His first big hit, though, was Heartbreak Hotel in 1956. From then on, it was a runaway train. Uh, he went to the army from 1958 to 1960. He was stationed in Germany. That's where he met Priscilla. I can't say her her maiden name. I really don't know how to pronounce it. Bolo, Bulu, Bolu. 
B-E-A-L-I-E-U. How do you even say that? Bolio. Bolio. Priscilla Bolio. If I had paid better attention to Elvis and me, I would know. If you're having trouble, imagine what Elvis had. Imagine Elvis <laughs> butchering that last name. I'm just going to call you Priscilla. Priscilla Presley is a great name. Presley. <laughs> that, that sounds easy. Um, we mentioned Colonel Tom Parker was his manager. He was Dutch. I looked it up and he He's was Dutch. Dutch. Okay, good Dutch. to know. That's why there's that funny accent that Tom Hanks is rocking in that movie. So I mentioned he was in Germany, meets 14-year-old Priscilla. They've been, they date for seven and a half years before they get married when she's 21. But she does, in fact, move into his house when she's like 16. Um... And so his career ends up, when he gets back from the army, his career ends up pretty much just being about movies and soundtracks from those movies. And that works until Clambake, which, oh my God, you guys, we, Clambake is bananas. It's my one of my favorite Elvis movies because it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And I, I love it. I love it. I love it. We'll get to it. Anyway, Clambake is kind of the, oh no, this is over. This was a great ride, but everybody hates this. And it's a flop. And no one likes the music. So that's when, as Andre had mentioned earlier, he starts doing the comeback stuff, the comeback concerts and the comeback tour and all this. And he does, you know, come back with good music and doesn't make any more films. And then eventually he and Priscilla do get a divorce. And eventually he also dies in like 1977. I don't really know a lot about Elvis. He lives in Graceland. I know that. But I don't know a lot about him and yet have seen so many of his movies because they bring me so much delight. Oh, it's very succinct, a succinct history of Elvis. I do, I do like Elvis's uh, brief period after the, the, like the comeback special and, and after that, cause it's like a return to his roots and he's, that comeback special is so cool. So you like a sideburn jumpsuit Elvis as your Elvis. Well, yeah, but slim Elvis in the black jumpsuit. With the bangs. With the bangs okay. and like the sideburns are there, but the sideburns are, are understated. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. you know, not mutton chops almost secret agent uh elvis true story i had a poster of uh elvis presley getting uh deputized as a i think a u.s marshal by uh richard nixon i had that poster in my dorm room when i was a freshman in college because that actually did happen what made you find that what made you what called you to i just thought it was super fascinating that elvis and (laughs) i'm paraphrasing this story but like elvis was just like i want to those hippies on drugs, I want to, I want to kill him. And he was just like, Hey, Nixon, make me a U.S. Marshal. And Nixon was like, yeah, okay. You know, like all those accents were terrible, but like that actually happened. I feel like Elvis is a prime example of somebody who like became famous way too young and nobody ever said no to him. And he got like so overindulged that like it ruined him and his life. He could never like be a real person ever, like on the inside either, you know, isn't there that thing where they say you're stunted at emotional growth at the time you become famous. So he will forever be like a 20 year old emotionally. That's absolutely correct. Um, I said, just sent you the photo. Of, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> you, oh my you, God. You should like make this a compendium to the podcast because I don't, I, I, when I was growing up and again, my youthful voice belies my age. But when I was growing up, I thought that that was like common knowledge that, uh, that Elvis was a US Marshal and that Richard Nixon, because they were selling this poster at the record store that I worked at. And then it turns out nobody, everyone was like, what? Like nobody knows this. No clue. I had no clue that happened. That photo is bananas. It is like, it says a thousand words, that picture. It's amazing. Read the article. It's really good too. By the way, how rich is it that Elvis says, can I have a badge from the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs? That is incredibly ironic. Um, 
I made a list of all the ridiculous things in this movie, and I want to make sure we talk about them. So we did mention spanking somebody. Um, the song Ito Eats, um, where there's a Hawaiian man, and they're talking about how much food he eats, and it's a song. I love it, and I hate it. It's, it's bananas. Um, the terrible old jargon, like surfboard riding, and um, that's a crackerjack of an idea. Stuff like that. The dog rescue of the the lady who's topless. He brings her a shirt. Thanks, dog. Um, the lip syncing we mentioned, just the god awful, the such bad lip syncing and such bad sound uh, design. I suppose it's not their fault. It's just bad. Yeah, bad lip dubbing all around. I felt like half of the teacher's dialogue was uh, was poorly dubbed. Yeah, a lot, a lot of loop because I yeah get location. It's hard, especially in the past. You know. But yeah, the music, they didn't even try to make it sound like it was a real thing happening on that spot at that time. No, no. But I mean, to be fair, a lot of music, a lot of movie musical. Would you call it, this is a musical, I guess, right? Well, here's, okay. So a musical, in order to be a musical, you need to advance the plot through music. And I suppose, may, does this advance the plot through the music? Rockahula? I don't know. I don't know. Rockahula does. I feel like we get details through the music, but I don't know that it enhances the plot through the music. I don't know that we ever move forward in the plot. Elvis moves forward through the house and leaves the house and that advances the plot into the next scene. So I would consider that a musical. Okay, actually, and you know what? Can't help falling in love with you. He's he's holding her hand in the background. So they are establishing and cementing their love. Take my hand, take my whole heart too, you know? So maybe that could be considered a musical moment. Was that after he gives a night on the musical? He does stop hitting on other women at that point. Hey, that's a great noticing thing. That's a good point. That is point Elvis. If you have a girl as awesome as Miley, why would you ever jeopardize that is what I want to know. She's a total badass who is always ready to go swimming. <sighs> you know? She probably gave birth at some point. So that was, I guess, a deal breaker for him. It was a sacred birth. I knew you did it. My Elvis is like a like a, like a a cartoon Hanna-Barbera character. I feel like mine is changing throughout. Mine, mine goes with my mood. You when know? you nail it, you nail, nail it. it. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty good. It comes good. and it goes. Um, but one of my favorite stupid moments, too, is there's a montage where he's, like, showing the ladies around, and they're pretending to be on surfboards. Like, he's trying to teach them how to surf, and he, like, moves with their arms, and there's, like, a bananas fake laughing moment that makes me laugh so hard. Like, it's the teacher, and she does this fake laugh that's, like, the funniest. It's... She doesn't mean to be funny, but it's so funny. So, like, if you are watching this, just check out that moment when Elvis mansplains how to surf. I think they were surfing correctly, and I think he untaught them how to surf correctly, if I'm correct. <laughs> Weren't they paddling right? And then he's like, no. But he doesn't say anything. He just uses his man hands and changes the way they're paddling to a less efficient way. But, yeah, check out the fake laughing in that scene. Elvis found a way to mansplain without using his words. <laughs> exactly. And then obviously Angela Lansbury over the top. We love it. She's the last ridiculous thing I wrote for this film. Those are all my ridiculous things. Did you guys have any ridiculous things you wanted to add? Yep. That sand dance. When they're dancing on the sand and just kicking sand everywhere into the food, into Ned's face, like everywhere. That's my favorite musical number because it's the closest to like a giant choreographed group number we're going to get. And I, I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it looked cool. I mean, you see why the the teenage girls are all cast. They're excellent dancers. Miley, not so much. Well, you know, what are you going to do? But that was also the only number I felt like had the most like realistic joy in it. Like I genuinely felt like everyone there was dancing and having a really good time. 
it was probably the most spontaneous feeling number, even though it was clearly choreographed. And it was the most like natural, real feeling number, I think. And the sand is visually cool to when it flies everywhere. Oh man, just growing up at the beach, it's like, I see that and it's like a nightmare. I'm like, oh God, it's like they're going to have to go home. And then when they get in the car, it's just going to be sand and dust everywhere. You know, it's going to be going to be in their swimsuits. They're going to be scrubbing it out for hours. They did kick it into Ito. I felt bad for him because he was sitting there and they did kick it into his face. And I was like, okay, that's a little too far. Oh, yeah. Don't kick sand on Ito. He's done not, he cooked for you. Leave him alone. Um, and this is, we get three in a row, by the way. That's three, it's a trifecta of musical numbers. Because I forget what comes first, but there's like one musical number, and then there's Ito Eats, and then we go straight into Slicing Sand. So you're like, oh, well, this is not like your normal musical. That does not happen in musicals. You don't get three in a row. Not like that. You don't get three in a row unless unless it's wall-to-wall -wall music. So I think, I think you're right. It is a special treat. Yeah. This is before they had music videos. This was their version of music videos. Here's something that's ridiculous. Yes. That Elvis was like at his party at his house that his parents were throwing for him. And he was like, I got to go. I'll be back in like an hour and a half. And they were getting ready for this party where like, okay, let's say you are the biggest dick in the world to your parents, right? <laughs> but your parents are wealthy. They've rolled out the red carpet. They've made a little cake for you, which they cover with like what looks like a bed sheet. G.I. Joe's. Fucking gross. Like, don't serve me any of that cake. Wait. Wait, what? They put a bed sheet on the cake? No, they put a napkin over it. It was a, a huge napkin because that was a huge cake. It was really big. The, this is my point. They put like housewares, bed, bed and bathware mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. on something that the guests were going to eat. But be that as it may, Elvis was just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go. I'll see you later and I'll be back. But he came back and they just like waited. Or were, were they getting ready for the party that early? That seemed pretty ridiculous. So, okay, this was my take on it. My take was that the cocktails were starting at 7, but the dinner wasn't starting till 8.30. So he was like, I'll be back in time. Like, the first part's the boring cocktail part. I don't need to be here for that. I'll That's be here fair. for the late. That was what I took from it. He did come back. He did come back. Although he did leave immediately again in a very rude way. He didn't even say goodbye. He just rock a hooled He just rock a hooled away advancing the plot right out the door. So he could have told his mom if he wanted to communicate, hey, I'm like seeing about a job right now. Like I'm trying to get work. And she probably would have been like, oh, cool. But he didn't say that. And that would have appeased her. But then he's somehow, him and Miley are so good together because they don't even need to communicate. Just through singing the song Rockahula, they both know that they're leaving this party right now. I thought that was impressive. Because if it was me, I wouldn't have known he was just leaving. I would have been stuck inside that house with a bunch of racist people that hated me and were rude to me. So like I, you know, I thought that was impressive that he can't communicate with anyone, but Miley is like so advanced that she was like, I communicate perfectly with you, sir. I see exactly what's going on. All this communicates perfectly through song. If only he could, if only he would have sang to uh, Ellie, Ellie, the suicidal 17 year old. Right. Okay. So <laughs> another, another ridiculous thing is, and I am going to preface this by saying I am in no way making fun of suicide or people who attempt suicide. It's a serious subject. However, in the context of this film, the way that she was trying to kill herself was pretty ridiculous. Like she just kind of like flopped head first into the shallowest part of the beach. And it was just like flopping like a fish. Like it was clearly a cry for help. I'm glad that Elvis rescued her. And she did, as we discussed earlier, have, you know, just cause for feeling a bit down because her parents basically abandoned her every waking moment of her life. 
I don't think she really intends to kill herself, but she sees that Elvis is coming. So it's like, well, this, you know, I'm so embarrassed. But she was like flopping around like crazy. Like she could have accidentally killed herself because the water is so shallow. She would have bashed her head against the rock. But yeah, I think it was like definitely the teenage, like it was like a teenage cry for help moment of like, uh, I'm going to run away. No, you're not. Watch me. And like, they like run out the door, but they're like, you're following me. Right. I think she knew he was right there. <laughs> like she saw that he was right there. So I think that she wanted to show him her intention, knowing it wasn't going to be fully carried out. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. I mean, I like, I understand why Elvis spanked her. Did anyone, oh God. <laughs> Stop committing suicide. I'm going to spank you. God, that awful. wasn't really that wasn't uh, really Elvis. That was kind of like a, a foghorn leghorn. <laughs> Did anyone else notice that Elvis was like kind of rough with people in this film? Like all the women he was into, or just women in general, he was kind of like a manhandling them and throwing them around. Like I wouldn't have guessed that he was dating Joan Blackman in this because I felt like every time he was with her, he was like throwing her, pulling her, pushing her, and I was like, "Ooh, be a little more gentle. She is your love. Chill, chill out." Like when they were gonna make out, he like threw her on the sand, and I was like, "Ow." Okay, didn't, not necessary. I kind of felt like that was why like they gave off like friendly vibes at the beginning. That's why I was a little like, like I didn't really know if they were steady. I don't know. It's like, this is such a movie from the male gaze, right? Like mm -hmm. only a man would write that a woman would be okay with, you know, her boyfriend making out with someone else when he, when he gets home. And yeah, just like his flippancy and casualness about you know, about her feelings, her responsibilities, her job, her outfits, all the time and work and effort that she puts into everything. He's just, you know, real careless with. That was perfectly put, Steph. Yes, correct. Also, she's kind of too good for him. Like, she is so together and responsible and smart. And like, girl, you can do better than Chad, who is so aptly named in this. He's such a Chad. Eh, he comes for money. I love that his last name was Gates so that their tourist company could be Gates of Hawaii, right? That's it. That was the whole reason they gave him that last name. That's exactly it. <laughs> that was pretty cute. Um, so I do want to talk about our, what your favorite songs were. Did you have a favorite song? I had obviously too. Can't Help Falling In Love With You has never sounded more beautiful. Like, it's beautiful in this. But the Slicing Sand song, I've got to give it to that. I, I love I love a musical number that has choreography, especially with, like, inanimate objects like sand, right? If this is Gene Kelly and you've got the paper dance where he's tearing up the paper with his feet, you're like, yes! In this one, it's it's sand. I liked it. I'll be honest. I, I zoned out during the musical numbers. I love, uh, you know, obviously love Can't Stop Falling in Love with You, but that was kind of my time to like really admire the set design, the costumes. Uh, oh my God, the tailoring was so incredible. But yeah, that's kind of when I would zone out. And Edith Head, by the way, did those costumes. The Edith Head did these Hawaiian costumes. Yes, yes. Incredible. I, I'm a big, like, now that's what I call music guy. So I'm a big, like, hit. So I was all team can't help falling in love with you. I think that's a beautiful song. With, like, honorable mention to Rockahula. You know, it was fun. Rockahula is great. It is a lot of fun. Honestly, the music is, is the best part of the movie. Like, that and the and the beautiful views of, of Hawaii. Like, music is awesome. Well, and I also feel like they put so much in it. Because I think actual musicals that come from Broadway have a lot of musical numbers. But... I don't know that we see movies that have this much music incorporated into them. Like this really had so much more than I think we're used to. And it also had these like kind of beautiful little music moments. So even though, again, we don't know if it's like actually indigenous music or not, I loved the moments when they would have 
the like the, what did they call them here they weren't the beach boys but they were like his beach friends whenever they would sing or play instruments they called them the beach boys yeah whenever they would sing or play their instruments that was usually pretty beautiful like it was just beautiful to hear um like the harmonies and the instruments like i don't know what that guitar is called that makes that twang sound that we hear in hawaiian music like that slide kind of thing do you know what i'm talking about they have a slide guitar is that what ukulele. that is yeah the slide guitar the ukulele those kinds of sounds were really cool to hear the conch shell that first number when like they're coming in on that boat when they've like just arrived at the beach like it's so gorgeous and it was really cool too because it like really focused on the native dancing and Elvis was just kind of on the side like kind of like yeah. joining in a little bit but it was just it was them and it was joyous it, it was beautiful and I love that they also explained why she wasn't getting on the boat too like there was a moment where Elvis jumps on a boat when he sees his friends and um it's not really a moment where she would be there too so they show them trying to like help her get on the boat and she's like no nah, I'm good I'm gonna swim and I was like oh I like that they resolved that for us <laughs> that we're not worried about her swimming out somewhere that she was like no I'm good I don't want to swim I don't want to be on your boat right now thank you so we could enjoy the musical number without stress movie with so many things that are unresolved <laughs> it's nice that they take care of that yes Speaking of unresolved, and also going back slightly to ridiculous, um, the dude at the was it the was it a clam bake or was it uh, what were they doing at the beach? They were like oh, it was like the hukilau. Was that hukilau? The hukilau. One of those dudes had six servings of fish and was about to I eat. I think that was Ito. Ito, Ito eats. right? Ito eats was going to have another. Was going to have seven. I mean, I've got respect for that until they kicked all that sand onto the fish. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I did love that line he had, though, about like, they're like, Ito, you've eaten like seven. And he was like, counting isn't cool. And I was like, yeah, same. Don't count my brownies that I'm eating, people. I'm going to eat them all. Leave me alone, is what I would have said. That fish that he was about to bite into was like the biggest filet of fish I'd ever seen in my life. That was like, and I was like, dude, that's, a, I mean, that is a lot of fish. It's lean. Yeah. It's lean. He's pescatarian. I will say he's also a surfer or a surfboard rider, as they say here. So we don't know how many calories he has burned today. You know, it could be a Michael Phelps situation and he just needs like a ton of yeah. food. And it was grilled. It wasn't breaded or fried. So, you know, yeah, more power to him. I don't know. You heard what Elvis said. He said, uh, your pecs have traveled down to your stomach in the last two years. Fat shaming. How ironic that Elvis would be the one. Thank you. Because I was like, Elvis, you're not in such great shape either. And apparently Elvis was so white when they went to film this that they made him like buy a certain kind of like tanning bed that he could lay in so he wouldn't be so white. But he's kind of a little flabby too. So like, Elvis, no. Let's all be body neutral, please. I have an unpopular opinion. I don't actually think Elvis is that handsome. And I think... I think it's because I think he looks like he's not that smart. And I think if you look like you're not that smart, I'm not that attracted to you. I think that's a thing for me. So that goes back to something that I was going to mention when you were talking about his female co-stars, mm -hmm. that they're all really smart and intelligent. Mm -hmm. And I think that is because Elvis as a character and as a, he's, he's dumb, he's dumb in the movies. He's dumb as a, a character and you can't have two dumb leads and it wouldn't work so i think that's the reason why it always has to has to work that way my mind has been blown you are correct and it makes him look more intelligent than an intelligent woman would want him wow correct. thank you whoa that was really helpful andre you just yes. nailed that yes andre out also he did have a really a line in here this is an elvis quote from the film ahem i'm young i'm healthy i'm not too stupid 
That sounded like Barack Obama, if we're being honest. I went Barack Obama towards the end of that. But also Hawaiian. Also Hawaiian. So there you go. <laughs> I like how they explained why he has a southern accent, though. They were like, he was born in Atlanta and grew up there for a little bit. That's why he sounds like he's from the South and not from Hawaii. <laughs> we're going to put that in the plot. But other than that, he's a perfect Hawaiian. <laughs> also, another great quote from this film. Oh, boy. Someone says to Elvis, Mr. Gates, do you think you can satisfy a school teacher and four teenage girls? And he says, yeah. And I go, no, this is stupid. That's stupid. They meant to double entendre there, didn't they? I think 100% because I thought the same thing when, when I was watching it. Steph, do you think it was an intentional double entendre? Yeah, of course. There were so many in this movie, like constantly. I'm really putting down this film. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to, but it does have a spanking in it. So I'm allowed to. Okay, I'm allowed. It's silly, you know, like we did on the waterfront and that was like, what, like six years before this. So like, it's not like it's just the times, you know, like there are yeah. serious smart movies that, you know, are made and that audiences like really like. And Blue Hawaii is just, you know. It's for fun. Is there a modern day equivalent to, to Blue? I, it's really, I guess it's probably tough to compare because it's Elvis and Elvis had this kind of unprecedented run of, of these kinds of movies, but is there any modern equivalent? Even like The Lost City that just came out, like that was clearly just for fun, right? Very upfront, like this is a comedy, this is for fun. And so I think this is just what that is. Like this is the same year that The Hustler comes out and Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, like, so I think this is just for fun. We all know what it is. Music videos aren't a thing yet. We wanna see this musical artist sing on in Technicolor on a big screen. How do we do that? Plus, the beach movies are starting to come into fashion, too. They're, like, about to be bigger. Like, we've got Gidget and Beach Blanket Bingo and Where the Boys Are. Like, all of these spring break beachy movies are going to start to come out. So I think it's a niche. Yeah, this came out two years after Hawaii joined the Union. So Thanks, Steph, for looking that up. I was wondering that in my head when, it, when Hawaii joined the Union. So thank you. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to look like I didn't know. But I guess a lot of people don't know. I do want to also just bring up, like, I've mentioned I've seen a bunch of Elvis movies. I thought I had seen a lot, but I was looking at his IMDb. I have not even scratched the surface. There are so many. I don't even know when or how I'm going to watch them all. I don't think I want to watch them all. But I just want to, like, maybe mention some Elvis movies. Um, so if you were like, Sarah, what was your personal favorite Elvis movie? My personal favorite is called It Happened at the World's Fair. Um, it's basically Baby Boom if Baby Boom was taking place in Seattle and if Diane Keaton was a pilot. That's, <laughs> it happened at the World's Fair. Elvis has to take care of a young Chinese girl who is beyond adorable. This child actress is perfection. And, um, and it's great. And he falls in love with a nurse and grows the fuck up and it's great. In like, you know, a heartwarming way. So yes, that's my favorite one. Um, and it has like a more musical-esque type of number in it where it's a little bit gropy and gross, but it's fun. It feels like you give me fever. And I, I think it's fun, even though it's awful at the same time. Um, so for the good Elvis movies, everyone agrees it's King Creole. King Creole was one of the movies he made before he went to the army. That was directed by Michael Cortez, who directed Casablanca. And it's like legit. <laughs> it's a very good, it's a very good film. Um, but I tend to, pref I'm like a little, as I mentioned, I love a campy film. So I, I like a lot of the really bad formulaic ones, especially like 
Um, Viva Las Vegas is great. The campiest one that makes me laugh the hardest is clam bake. I mentioned it earlier, you guys. Clam bake. <sighs> clam bake is a prince on a pauper tail where rich person Elvis decides to swap places for the summer with this guy who has like a summer job. So the summer job guy will pretend to be him and he'll pretend to be the other guy and be poor for the summer. He falls in love with Shelly Fabre, who's wanting to like, you know, get a rich husband. That's her whole purpose. She's trying to be a gold digger and get a rich husband, but she falls in love with Elvis, who she thinks is poor. And um, there's a big boat race at the end and Elvis wins the boat race. Stay with me here. By inventing glue, he stays up all night and he's in a lab, a chemistry lab, and he invents a super magic glue that holds his boat together so that he can win the big race. And he wins the big race. And um, there's a musical number where they sing Clambake and they end and they all pose and they hold the pose for an extensive amount of time. And it is so painful and so beautiful. And I think everyone needs to watch it. <laughs> it's it's truly an example of what could go wrong in an Elvis film, but have everyone still love it. Do we get to do Clam Bake next? I mean, I think we should, because I think you, it's just so ridiculous. It's so, it's so over the top. It's like you can't stop the music level of insanity. I just looked it up. The New York Times called uh, Clam Bake a, a little Christmas clinker. That's not good. It's like so bad, but so fun to watch, you know? Because some movies are just bad and you can't watch them. Clam bake. It's just ridiculous enough that I enjoy it. So bad it's good. So bad it's good. I saw it at the New Bev, a co like maybe six years ago, and I was like, this is a sensational film. Thank you. It was paired with Fun in Acapulco, which is the same as this, except the young girl hits on him in the beginning and he loses his job in the beginning. Yeah. Well, that's no fun. There's so many. Um, also, just honorable mentions that I've never seen, but what the fuck? Kissing Cousins, he plays um, two identical cousins. I'm sorry, he plays identical cousins. So I like, I need to see this. Roustabout, he plays a carnival worker, and Barbara Stanwyck is in it as well, and so I'm gonna need to see it. And I also have not seen Speedway with Nancy Sinatra, so I also need to see that. Oh, and Change of Habit with Mary Tyler Moore, who is a nun in disguise, in plain clothes. So I need to see all of those. Um, but yes, I've seen, I've seen a significant amount of Elvis. Like what, what was the most popular Elvis film? Was it King Creole? Oh, that's a good question. I actually don't know. Was it like I, Jailhouse Rock? Or is that, was that even a movie? That was a movie, Hawaii right? was successful. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, Jailhouse Rock was a film. Hit-wise, I actually think his post-Army movies did pretty well at first. Um, like I think Blue Hawaii was a huge hit, but King Creole is like the the only one that's like certified certified fresh let's say like it's the one that everyone says is actually a good film and to his credit elvis didn't wa did want to make more films like that but he was not allowed i think he made like there was a western he made i can't remember the name right now um i don't think i wrote it down either there was a western he made and um wild in the country and those were two films after his army years that he tried to make like that had more decent roles and they were flops so, or they weren't flat, they just weren't big hits. So he himself realized like, oh, maybe people just do want to see the formula. So he, he got stuck in that little, he, he could never get back to what he was doing in King Creole. But yeah, Elvis movies are like Hallmark movies, you know? They're, you always know you're gonna have a good time and they're fun. I have not seen a single one 
outside of this. Really? Yeah, this is my first one. This is the first Elvis movie that you've ever seen? You never said that. Yeah. What have you seen, Andre? Had you, and had you seen this before? I had seen Blue Hawaii before, but a very, very long time ago. The reason I'd seen it is because I want to say my sixth grade uh, geography teacher had a huge poster of it in her classroom. And I was like, what's this movie? And it always stuck in my head. And then later when I actually had access to films on like in the library uh, in my cinematography class in high school, um, I saw Blue Hawaii and I was like, oh, let's watch this. And at the time I was just like, this is ridiculous, but like, whatever, it's like charming, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was remarking to Stephanie when I was watching it, you know, re- re-watching it, how like, I didn't give any of that like ridiculous behavior of Elvis the thought 25 years ago I was just like oh that's just dumb like whatever mm-hmm. it's just like that's just the time and like now when I was looking at it I was like man I wouldn't show this to anybody I mean it's not like the birth <laughs> of a nation it's not like I'm like burn this movie but like you know it's just very problematic what else did I, had I seen I think I've seen a little bit of King Creole not a lot I definitely uh definitely have not seen Clambake we're gonna watch it I've seen bits and pieces of Jailhouse Rock. There was a, uh, there was another one like uh, Kid Galahad. I saw a little bit of Kid. Gal- I couldn't get through it. Some of them are hard. Like some of them are really bad, and you have to turn them off. There's like there are several that are almost the same. Like Girls, 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 and Girl Happy. Girl Happy is not great. Like there, a lot of them are. You start to forget because a lot of them are so similar. Fun Al Capoco, like it's all this. It becomes the same movie, and you can't remember or distinguish which one you've seen and which one you haven't. You know what's also fascinating about that time, and this is it's not only Elvis movies, but I think it's indicative of like a star like Elvis who's like going through the Hollywood system, how many movies he made in such a short period of time. Like he just turned them out. 31 films from 1957 to 1969. 31 films. That's a lot of movies. And he was a leading role in all of them. Yeah. Also a lot of lines. Like no wonder his music career suffered. That's... That's a ton. Do you guys have anything else that you want that we didn't talk about that you were like, ah, oh, fuck, I wish we talked about this. Ooh, how about those horrible bits with the little kids when they first get to that beach and the kids are like, can we play? He's like, later. And then they come back later and they're like, can we play? And then the kid's like, he said we could play. And the boy's like, he said later. Like, was that supposed to be funny? I think they were like making it on the beach and the boy was like, I want to play this makeout game with you. And they're like, ew, gross, you're a kid. You got to get a girl of your own. So he got the girl of his own because he thought they were playing like a wrestling game or something, but they were making out. So later means like when when you're grown up, you're going to make out later, I think. I think. Right over my head. That was adorable. We're, we are now ready to get into the modern lens portion of this podcast. While I have been talking shit about this film, I do enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy, I mentioned, I enjoy Elvis films, so I don't mean to talk shit about it. But yeah, there's a lot that doesn't hold up in our modern world. So like, let's let's dive in, probably starting with the character of Ping Pong, which who is the, it's like the racist depiction of a Japanese person as the Gates's butler. It's kind of, kind of incredibly offensive. <laughs> let's talk about that, everybody. I mean, I think you mentioned it when you were talking about, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's and like that sort of lingering animosity, prejudice against the Japanese. Like that's very, very, very present. And yeah, he's 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 a total cartoon. And that part is very tough. Like it's tough to watch. It's tough to watch and because you're also watching it in the context of a comedy and it's so casually like 
Like if if that were to happen today, it would be like the movie wouldn't have never been made. It was the cruelest thing in the movie to me because he was the only character that basically gets shit on. Do you like every other character? We're kind of like making fun of from a self-aware perspective, and he's the only character that like just keeps getting knocked down by the bad characters, like with no resolution and no pull up. Do you know what I mean? Because ping pong is continually put down throughout the film and never picked back up. It's not great treatment. It's they they make him seem like an incredible simpleton who can't function on a basic intellectual human level. Cartoonish is a great way of putting it. I am curious, like, is he supposed to be Japanese in this? Because I know the actor himself is Hawaiian because he was in Hawaii Five O, oh. uh, like the original series, and like he was he was in a couple other Hawaiian series and movies. So in my brain, that equated to like, oh, I know we have animosity towards Japanese people at this time in like America because people are still thinking about World War II. And then um, just that name to me was like a way of saying a character is Asian in a racist way. Do you know what I mean? Like to me. But maybe he was Hawaiian. I don't know. Hard to say. It's like ambiguous. Also, just like a total side note, what I was thinking about recently is um, I listened to like the old radio program. And a lot of times they'll have like 1940s um, movies that were made into like smaller shows and stuff. I don't know how to describe that better, but there's way more animosity towards Japanese people that like everyone doesn't like the Nazis, or the, but they don't call them the Germans as much. They call them the Nazis, but the Japanese people, I'm not going to say the word they call them, but it seems like there was more racistness and animosity towards them in these old radio shows. And I was just noticing that because I was like, well, the not what the Nazis were doing was like, there were concentration camps where they were murdering hordes and hordes of people, but they're somehow seen as more like civilized in depiction as opposed to the way they were portraying Japanese people. And I was noticing that I was like, Oh fuck, this is like, this is really racist. But I was thinking about that a lot, how much racism was put into the hate for the Japanese people during the, during world war two, as opposed to not, it wasn't the same, I guess, racist factor into the Nazis, if that makes sense. Americans still thought of Europeans as like, you know, like their ancestors, whereas Asians just look different. I was thinking about that when I was watching this. I was like, I see the racism happening right now. Oh, yeah. We discussed ping pong um, and Asian stereotyping. I would say like appropriation and whitewashing of Hawaiian culture in general. Um, potential brown face on Joan Blackman portraying a person who's half native Hawaiian um, spanking of a 17 year old girl that don't hold up. Oh, the idea of girls being rivals. Girls can't get along because we're rivals. I don't like that intellectual teacher. because She's my rival. That's bullshit. Um, it's interesting though. We talked about like how the racist character is the bad character. And that happened in bullet last week. That was literally a plot point in the movie we watched in our last show. And it, like came through in this one too. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. What do Bullet and Blue Hawaii have in common? That. Um, I think in also in the modern lens, like the, uh, God, I forget, Tucker, Tucker and his wife, like Tucker, like just like basically just like harassing an underage woman at a restaurant is like, you know, commonplace, I guess, enough for like Elvis's objections start a fight. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you're not allowing him to do this thing that he does all the time. And their entitlement to and not taking responsibility for their actions totally doesn't work in modern lens. Well, basically, like, they kind of have, like, the ignorant yokels, right? Like, Sarah Lee, you know, she's an ignorant Southerner. Tucker and Enid, like, that horrible couple from Oklahoma, like, they're just 
you know, like they're yokels and they make everyone uncomfortable and they just kind of, you know, like they're kind of like the stereotypical, like loud tourist Americans, mm-hmm. right? Who have money. But it's kind of neat because it's like they're showing like this is problematic, yeah. like this is bad and no, we don't like this. And they kind of do the same thing with, um, I thought this was really interesting. They do the same thing with Ellie. She keeps coming on to this guy who's basically like, you know, like he, he works for her and her group, right? So she's putting him in this horrible situation where like, he has to keep her happy. So like, he's, you know, really compromised where it's like, he has to like find straddle that fine line of like, not like keeping her off of him, but also like not getting fired from his job. It's just like what women go through on a regular basis in their jobs. He was modeling that, (laughs) you know, he was modeling harassment. Yeah. We still deal with this today. Sadly, you know, it happens to women and men, but it's neat to see this movie addressing this and going like, look how uncomfortable this, you know, this, this kind of behavior and, you know, what kind of horrible situations this places people in. How much of the those situations do you think were consciously put in to, I guess, either create character conflict and then resolution? And how many, how much of it was just unconscious, like, whatever, let's just write this. Like, because what you're saying, Stephanie, I think is pretty interesting um, that there is this, like, there is a commentary on how Sarah Lee is, you know, racist. And I think there is everyone, all of the locals with the exception of ping pong, the servant, I think come across as um, not, not objectified, but not like second-class citizens, you know, like Elvis is like hanging out with them. I don't know. I wonder how much, or, or, or like the whole thing with Tucker the, and, and Ellie, like, how much of that do you think is just uh, is unconscious and how much do you think it was conscious? Because I think it'd be really fascinating to know what like the screenwriter was thinking when they wrote some of these things, like how much of it was actually just like throwaway garbage of the times. Like, and in this scene, Elvis is going to be making out with a stewardess, but it's fine because, you know, it's the beginning and Elvis is, you know, coming back from war and the boys will be boys like, or, and how much of it is like, Hey, you know, like this this joke about like Sarah Lee's like renegade uncle who was a Yankee is funny because she's, you know, a Southern. Like, I don't know. I just I thought it'd be interesting to get your points of view on that. So I while you were saying that, what I was thinking was that this is around the time of the civil rights movement, but like the feminist movement hasn't happened yet, right? So we're seeing instances of awareness in little tiny moments of civil rights ideas, like Elvis does marry a woman who is half like native Hawaiian, right? And his best friends in this are not depicted like badly as like indigenous Hawaiian folk. So like that stuff's all good, but the treatment of women isn't great because we we don't have awareness yet even about like a feminist movement maybe, right? So like there's toxicity in the scene stuff was describing where she's harassing him. To me, the toxicity that lives in that scene is that if she, it's forwarding the idea of not believing women in certain situations because they're trying to like, harm the man or trap the man or you know like i don't i didn't love that aspect of it so i do wonder if the civil rights movement at all was an awareness in their mind and because we don't have any sort of like real feminist movement yet it couldn't it wasn't in anyone's brain to even think about (laughs) the toxic ideas they were bringing forward there maybe maybe i don't know but that's what i thought when you said it i mean it's it's a it's a really great point i mean like do you think like when they say cut and joan blackman like is joan blackman she's just like rolling her eyes like I gotta do this dumb scene where Elvis is like cheating on me like in the first episode and like everyone's like yeah it's gonna mess up but you know <laughs> hey it's Elvis <laughs> or she's just like all right take two I think she's like I'm having an affair and I'm getting paid 
I don't care. I think that's what she's, she thinks. Um, but no, that's a really good question that you brought up. I don't have a good answer for it, that. They probably did it unconsciously, but you never know. I like that it's in there. Oh, I also want to bring in, I liked the grandmother and the depiction of the grandmother in this. Like, she was really authentic. I love the scene where she's dancing too, and Joan Blackman like checks it out and she's like, are you really shaking your ass right now? And the grandma's like, yeah, I'm shaking my ass, I'm dancing. I, I feel this music and I'm gonna move to it. And then they try to put the grandma on the spot and she gets shy. But I thought that whole part was kind of cute and I don't know, I liked the representation of that moment. They gave her her, her moment, like in that she was a badass, like and that she was also like a unique to any of the other elder statesman women in the in the movie. Like she was her own woman, I thought. And it was also like Elvis paid respect, like was really the only woman that Elvis was deferential to in the entire film. That's a really good point. So as usual, I've talked way too long because I really enjoy talking with you guys, but uh, we're going to head into the double feature portion of this program. If you liked this film, um, I would say for like, okay, if you want to do more Elvis films, I would say check out like Viva Las Vegas would pair very well with this. Um, I, again, I mentioned, I personally love it happened at the world's fair. Clambake is just beyond ridiculous. You're going to love it. And Fun in Acapulco too is very similar. Um, I've never seen Paradise Hawaiian style. And I've never, I don't think I've seen Girls, 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 but those also are Elvis movies that take place in Hawaii. So maybe check those out, but they might be awful. I really couldn't tell you. Oh, and GI Blues would also be a good Elvis pairing with this because it's, he's literally also, I just got out of the army, but this time I'm a club singer and it's also um, My Fair Lady kind of. It's also a little She's All That. I made a bet to fall in love with you and I fall in love with you. Ah, that's GI Blues. Okay. If you want to watch a film that's like a fun beach movie around this time, I would say Beach Blanket Bingo, always a classic, Frankie and Annette. Gidget is ridiculous and fun, but she falls in love with surfing before she falls in love with a boy, so that's good. I think that's slightly empowering, even though in the end it really is all about Moondoggy, but whatever. Um, where the boys are, solid spring break film with a great song, great leading song. Um, the Pleasure Seekers, ooh, that's really fun. That's Anne Margaret on vacation in Spain with her two buddies, really great. Like we're on location, it's really fun and great songs are happening and Tony Francios is here. It's been a minute since I saw it, but I, I remember liking it. Anyway, and then um, if you wanna go serious, From the Terrace with Paul Newman is like the serious version of this movie. That comes home from, from the army, but he wants success and it, it hurts his marriage. So I feel like that's like the opposite of this, but it's Paul Newman. I think this movie would pair very well with Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh yes, that is correct. <laughs> You're correct. It would. It's the opposite spectrum, but they're both set in Hawaii. I enjoy that film though. I wonder if it still holds up, does it? It does. So I have not seen any of Elvis's other movies. So it's hard for me. I think this happened last time when we um, did Dr. No. It's hard for me to pair another movie with this but I can pair another movie soundtrack with it. Yes. Because when I watched this movie, I thought, oh, um, this would have been really great to listen to when, when we were last in Hawaii. And so I would add as a movie soundtrack pairing, the soundtrack to um, Lilo and Stitch. Oh yeah. Which is also phenomenal music. That's all Hawaiian. And you could watch Lilo and Stitch with this too. You could. Very different caliber films, but. Well, Ohana <laughs> means family. And family means no one gets left behind. And really, that's what Chad's message a little bit was to Ellie. 
No, it wasn't. It wasn't even a little. I'm sorry. He literally left his family behind. So it's it's not correct. Um, yeah. So that I agree. That'd be a good soundtrack and maybe movie to watch with it. Before we end the show, Andre, I'm going to give you the floor for Baz Luhrmann, uh, his Elvis film. Please take it away. Your thoughts. This movie looks straight up ridiculous. Like, okay, we all know about all the crazy stuff that Elvis did. I keep making this whole argument with Stephanie. I'm like, we know that he appropriated all this music from the, the, the black musical stars who, who invented rock and roll. We know that Colonel Tom Parker was like, not super great. Um, like we know that Elvis liked underage women. And then I see this trailer for this movie and I swear to God, Sarah and Stephanie, I swear to God, I think there's a there's a there's a scene where like Elvis is watching out of the corner of his eye the I have a dream speech and he's like, oh those people have right or something like he's he's gonna say something like that. It's like you know the Great Gatsby on acid, but it's Elvis and come on, it's 2022. We can't solve climate crisis. I don't need a movie that glorifies Elvis. That's all I needed to say about that. It's funny because you said the things that I felt in my head specifically about the civil rights movement. I remember being like, oh, are we pretending that, that Elvis cared about this? Are we going to pretend that right now? Oh, okay. I'm glad that I didn't hallucinate that because that, that was in that trailer, right? It was. It was in that, especially because I thought the exact thing you said, like, oh, you mean the man who literally took the success away from other, like from black artists? It's like, things got to be fair. The man who's shaking Richard Nixon's hand. You think that man gave a shit about anyone but himself? No. But I will say that I think that the, the most accurate portrayal of Elvis in film, and also the most accurate portrayal of people reacting to Elvis in film, is in Walk the Line. I forget who it who who actually says it in the movie, but all of the musicians, including Cash, are outside of like a motel. They're all on tour together, and they're all talking about the other guys. And I forget one of them, but one of them just has an aside. It's like, oh man, that Elvis. He really loves talking about Poon. <laughs> that's what he says in the movie. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like Elvis. Well, like we said, emotionally stunted at the age of 20. So that was probably how he viewed women. And like this, having success with women was just getting to sleep with them and not having any sort of deeper, meaningful relationship or connection, probably. I'm sorry if that anecdote was crass, but it was from a movie in my defense. I didn't write well, it. My favorite Elvis depiction that's not of Elvis appears in Bye Bye Birdie when it's a mixture of Elvis and Conrad Twitty when they make Conrad Birdie. And it's great. I was thinking about that number the other night where all he does is like, there's a song about being really sincere. And there's one part where he just says words to the audience and they're screaming. And the words he says are, hold me, suffer. And everybody goes, ah! And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's so Elvis. That's all he would, he'd be like, suffer. And girls would lose their shit. Bye Bye Birdie's great. I love Bye Bye Birdie. Stephanie, have you ever seen Bye Bye Birdie? Oh gosh, like once in middle school. I like the musical better than the movie, if I'm being real. I think the musical is classic. I've never seen the musical. Oh, I only saw the musical in middle school. My middle school performed it. So you're lucky, because it's better than the film. The film <laughs> goes a little off the rails. You were talking about your favorite songs and you kept on mentioning Rockahoola. Yes. And it just reminded me of the Elvis movie I'm most familiar with, which is Rockadoodle. Stop. Oh my God. Oh my God. I forgot about Rockadoodle. I forgot. That's a solid comparison. Dang, Rockadoodle. That's a 90s cartoon about a rooster that's Elvis. Wow. 
Thank you, Rockadoodle. Thank you for letting me share. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that full circle. What was the Elvis character's name in Rockadoodle? Chanticleer. His crowing would make the sunrise. There's your double feature. The Hawaiian Rockadoodle. Done. Well, on that note, everyone, Thank you for being here, your wonderful guests, and um, we'll see you all next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guests this week were Stephanie Anderson and Andre Fonseca. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening. <laughs>